thankful to open up God's word with you. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, that's where we're going to be today. Um, While you're turning there, I don't know if you heard the news, but at the end of August, Harvard University appointed a new chief to their chaplain organization. His name is Greg Epstein. We have a picture of him that we can put on the screen. Um, Greg Epstein is 44 years old. He used to be a former uh, rock and roll musician. He ended up kind of searching for meaning in life and all these various things, studied all over the place and has been on staff at Harvard for many years. Um, But he was recently appointed as their new chief chaplain. Um, The interesting thing about Greg Epstein is this. Check this out. He's an atheist. I want you to hear what I just said. The head of their chaplain department is an atheist, right? That to me is is very intriguing. I don't know if you know this, but Harvard University started in the 1600s as a Christian school. Um, Their motto when they started actually used to be truth for Christ and the church. And now they've appointed an atheist humanist who really doesn't believe in Christ or the church. It's interesting how far we can drift uh, over the course of less than 400 years. Um, This guy, uh, Epstein, wrote a book in 2009, and it's entitled Good Without God, What a Billion Non-Religious People Believe. And he was being interviewed by the New York Post about that book recently, and in the interview, here's what, they asked him what he believed about God, and here's what he says. What do you believe about God? Here's the humanist answer. We, talking about the non-religious atheist humanists, he says, we believe that God is the most important, influential, literary character human beings have ever created. Now, isn't that an interesting statement? He believes that God is nothing more than a fictional creation of human literature, I'm pointing that out to say this, like obviously he doesn't believe that God exists. He's just a a figment of our imagination that we put in a book. And if God doesn't exist, then he would most certainly think that God cannot be known. And I say that today because we are in week two of our sermon series called Why We're Here. In last week's kickoff sermon, we really talked about the purpose of our existence. And we talked from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8, about the reason that, that we're here, ultimately, is that we're here for God. And uh, the scripture makes that very clear, that our existence, we want to find our purpose in life, it's to be a God-centered existence, that he is to be at the center of all we are, why we live, kind of who we are and, and what we do. Um, we we kind of summarized everything last week with a very simple statement. We said, hey, if you want to know why you exist, if you're a Christian, here's why you exist. Simple phrase, to know God and to make him known. To know God and to make him known. That's why we're here. It's why we're here individually as persons. It's why we're here collectively as a church. Greg Epstein would totally think we're crazy and wasting our time, right? But that's why we're here. And last week, when we were talking about why we're here, what's the purpose of life, the question that I asked everybody last week was, what are you going to do with your dash? Remember that? What are we going to do with our dash? Because remember, every one of us has a birth date. Every one of us will have a death date. And it's the little dash in between that represents all the moments that we get to live. What are we going to do with our dash? That's the big question. None of us want to waste our lives. None of us want to live for something that 
really doesn't matter. We all want to utilize our lives for a good purpose. And at the most foundational level, what we've got to understand is that the unwasted life, the purposeful life, is one where we live to know God and to make him known. The question for us is how? Like, how are we going to do that? Last week I shared that our leadership has been praying about how we're going to make him known as a church, right? We We've said that God has uh, sent Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ already gave his church a mission. We don't have to come up with our own mission. Uh, God gave us a mission to go into the world and make disciples. That's our purpose as a church. So every church knows that, right? Every church knows that their their mission is to make disciples. The question is, how are we going to do it? And so as leadership, we've been praying and asking the Lord to lead us, and we've laid out nine characteristics of a disciple that we want to pursue uh, in the future life of our church. We started out last week saying that the, the first characteristic is worship, right? Worship needs to be at the center of all that we are, all that we do. Worship is at the center, but we've also laid out Uh, four other characteristics that have to do with knowing God and four more that have to do with making him known. And that's what we're gonna preach about over the next several weeks, eight or nine more weeks. Um, We want to be a church that has worship in the center as we pursue all these other characteristics of a disciple. So what other characteristics of a disciple are we gonna pursue? What else do we need? What sort of marks should be in our life as the people of God? I wanna talk to you today about the first one. And the first, the thing I want to talk about today is this. It's, I want to talk about the idea of knowing God personally, personally. We want to be a church where we help people become wholehearted, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What are some of the characteristics? The first characteristic is this, to be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, you must know him personally. That's the straightforward, big idea from this message, the one takeaway that I hope you leave here with today. To be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, you must know him personally. Here's how I wanna walk through this message today. I want us to look at John chapter three. I want us to see Jesus's interaction with Nicodemus. And along the way, I want us to answer three questions that have to do with knowing God personally. The first one is this, what does it mean to know God personally? The second is, why is it important? And the third is, how are we gonna pursue it? All right, and those are our three questions. Those are the ways that we're gonna work through this sermon, same three questions that we're gonna ask for every other sermon in this series. Um, And after we address them, here's what I hope starts to happen. As we address these questions today, here's what I hope happens. I hope that if you do know God personally, If you do know Christ personally today, I hope that this message greatly comforts your heart. I hope that you are assured in your heart that you know the Lord. But if you don't know Christ personally, I'm praying that your spirit will be provoked today. I'm praying that you'll be bothered today. That the Holy Spirit will convict you and disturb you and bring you to the point where you actually commit your life to Christ and start to know him personally. So let's get into John chapter 3 and talk more about knowing God personally. It's always important to remember the context of the passage we're gonna read, so let me just remind you of what's going on in Jesus' life and ministry at this point. When we get to John chapter three, Jesus has been you know, doing ministry, but he's really in the early stages of his ministry. Uh, John the Baptist has preached about Christ. 
uh, Jesus uh, came and was baptized. Um, he called his initial disciples to himself. He actually did his first miracle, turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And he also has already cleansed the temple with the people who were in there trying to make money off of people and their sacrifices and the things they were bringing. And so the reason why I'm mentioning that is to say that Jesus has already kind of made a splash. He's already been on the scene. He's making an impact in the culture. And the religious leaders of the day, we know them as the Pharisees, right? They were not happy about Jesus coming in and kind of messing up the routines, gaining notoriety, starting to win influence over people. Their kind of power and control was being threatened by Jesus. Nevertheless, they couldn't deny the fact that he had shown great power, that he was starting to have great influence. And so one of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus and has an interaction with him in John chapter three. This man's name, this Pharisee's name is Nicodemus and I wanna read about it today in John chapter three, verses one through six. Let me read God's word. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Thankful for God's good word this morning. I hope you are as well. In these verses, we learn much about knowing God personally. Um, I want to tackle our three questions, and I want to find answers to our three questions in the story of Nicodemus. So our first question about knowing God personally is, what does it mean? What does it mean to know God personally? I'm going to give you, you know, kind of our succinct answer to what it means to know God personally, and then we'll unpack this a little bit more in scripture. Knowing him personally means this. It means being spiritually born again into a personal, life-changing relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. When you hear me and others down the road as we start to recast vision for the church and wanting to see every disciple of our church, of Jesus Christ, every disciple of Jesus Christ come to know him personally, this is what we mean. That we have been spiritually born again into a personal, life-changing relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. In verse three, Jesus says this to Nicodemus. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus, here's Jesus talk about being born again, and what does Nicodemus say? Like, he's just thinking in earthly, fleshly terms. Like, well, what are we going to do, Jesus? Climb back into our mother's womb and be born again? And, and Jesus says, no, you must be born again spiritually by the Spirit of God. You must be not just born of water, but of the Spirit, right? So what Jesus is saying is, if you're born of the flesh, if, if, you're, if you come out of the, the water of your mother's womb, then all you have is fleshly life. But if you're born of 
the Spirit, out of the power of the Spirit of God, then now you're gonna have new spiritual life, life with God. This is where Christians get the idea of what we call the doctrine of regeneration. You've probably heard some of these big terms used. Regeneration is a doctrinal term that Christians use. Well, what does that mean, regeneration? It's pretty simple. What does it mean to generate something? To generate something means to give it life. Right? To, therefore, to regenerate it means to give it life again. Right? So regeneration, being born again, they go hand in hand. Regeneration is about being born again. The scripture talks about this in many ways. When someone becomes a Christian, they are regenerated. They are given new life. Life in a spiritual manner starts anew for them. Let me just read to you a few scriptures that talk about this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says that God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Christ, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So if you've been saved, you were spiritually dead, but you've been made alive. That's being born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? Something that's been created, given life. Well, if you're in Christ, now you are a new creation. There's a new life. The the scripture says that the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. That's regeneration. 1 Peter chapter one, verse 23. Peter writes and he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. When you hear the gospel, the word of God preached, the message of Christ preached, and you're made, something stirs within you, you repent of your sin, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're made new, that's regeneration. First John chapter five, verse one says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Regener- this is all regeneration language. The scripture emphasizes the doctrine of regeneration, and the doctrine of regeneration is all about being born again. In 2005, you guys, I went to Namibia in Africa for a mission trip, and I remember ministering, preaching the gospel, talking with a young woman there, and while I was there, uh, I started asking her about her relationship with God, and, and she said, oh yes, I'm a Christian, and I said, oh wow, really, tell me a little bit about that. When were you born again? And she looked at me very like concerned, and she said, oh no, I am not one of the born agains. And I remember thinking like, okay, we started to talk and open up the scriptures together and I had to explain to her what I proclaim to you now. Like, there's no other kind of Christian than a born again Christian. You guys with me on this? You cannot be a Christian unless you've been born again. There's not another kind. There's one kind, born again kind. When you're born again, it means you've been given new life in Christ. There's life change. Like we just read in 2 Corinthians, old things are passing away, all things are becoming new. When you become born again, there's a radical transformation that goes on in your heart. The old things are passing away. You used to have have no concern for God, now suddenly you have great concern for God. The old thing is passing away where you used to not really care about Jesus Christ. Now suddenly you care about Jesus Christ. You used to not have any concern for the church and the people of God. You're born again. Now you care about the church. You used to have a total disregard for God's word. You're born again. Now you care what God has said in his word. These are all marks of new life that comes about as a part of regeneration. We're made new. 
It doesn't mean we're made perfect, right? We're not yet perfect. We're, we're still sinners. We still sin. But by God's grace, we are being changed, conformed one degree to another to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. We see evidence of being changed, of, of God changing our lives. It just to kind of say it in a way that might be memorable for you, like before you're saved, you're degenerate, right? Once you're saved, you're regenerate. There's new life. This is what happens when you come to know him personally. You are spiritually born again into a new life-changing relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we mean when we say that we must know him personally. You must be born again. So the next question is this. Why is it important? Why is it important? Why is it important to be born again? Why is it important for us to talk about knowing God personally through this born again, life-changing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Three reasons why it matters that we know him personally. We're gonna see all these in Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. The first reason is this. Guys, please hear me. Participation in religious tradition is not enough. Participation in religious tradition is not enough. John chapter three, verse one. Jesus is talking to, uh, we're, we're reading about Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, and it says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So here we have Jesus talking to this man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones who were more devoted to knowing God's word. They were more devoted to enacting religious tradition than almost anybody else in the culture, right? They, we would have looked at Pharisees and said, man, they're very kind of spiritual people. They were in the temple regularly, in the synagogues regularly. They knew the scriptures. They conducted themselves very morally. Yet, here is Jesus telling a committed Pharisee named Nicodemus, you must be born again. Here's the truth. You can be active in a tradition and completely miss the person that it's for. You can be incredibly active in a tradition and totally miss the, the, the person that it's for. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, a lot of us have a tradition of taking family vacations. Um, my family just got back from a family vacation. I don't know about you, but you, have you ever had one of those vacations where you go and you get so busy doing activities that the, the whole time goes by and you're like, you know what? How much of a relationship did I actually connect? How did I connect with my family? Like, did I connect with my family? You ever go on one of those vacations and you come back and you're like, you need a vacation from your vacation? You know what I mean? It's because we get, sometimes can get so busy and we miss out on connecting with the people that we're there for. This was definitely the case for me, I think, early on in our marriage and we first had kids just trying to like plan getaways and do activities together and have a day-by-day schedule, just go, 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 go and do stuff. And it just hit me at one point um, many years ago that you know, I, don't, I don't want these activities to go on and then just totally miss out on developing relationship with my kids. So over the years, what has become precious to me is that on all of our family vacations, if we go down to the beach, I set aside time with my girls where we go on these long, slow, intentional beach walks, and all we do is walk and talk. That's all we do. 
And now as the years have gone by, those long beach walks have become like the, my favorite part of our tradition, right? But the, the reality is that the purpose of the tradition is to connect with the person. But if we're not careful, we can be active in our traditions and still miss the people that they're for. Guys, the same can be true in the church. We can be totally active in the church and completely miss the person that it's for. Are you guys with me on this? The purpose of the church is to connect us with Christ. And we can be completely active in the church and be totally disconnected from Christ, right? You can, you can have friends that are Christians and not know Christ. You can be busy in ministry, serving in the church, not know Christ. You can be attending a church regularly and not know Christ. You can come to a church where you really like the message and your kids have a great time and you hear some good music and man, there's lots of nice people there. And we can all be involved in church and if we're not careful, we can totally miss the person it's for. The church exists to connect us to Jesus. It's not the church that gets us to God. It's Jesus that gets us to God. So don't miss Jesus even if you're connected to a church. Participating in religious traditions is not enough. You must know Christ personally. Religious tradition is not enough. That's the first thing we see here in Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. Here's the second reason why knowing God is important. We see it in Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, it's this. It's knowing information about Christ is not enough. Participating in religious tradition is not enough, but neither is knowing information about him. Think about Nicodemus. Uh, Again, chapter three, verse two says this. This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. So what do we see about Nicodemus right here? Nicodemus knew who Jesus was. He knew he was a man that, was, that had come from God, a teacher. Nicodemus knew some of the things that Jesus had, did, uh, had done, signs and wonders. But in the very next verse, what does Jesus say to Nicodemus, even though Nicodemus got all the information right? Jesus says, you still must be born again or you're not gonna come into the kingdom of heaven. Here's the truth informational knowledge alone doesn't make you know somebody personally. You can have all the informational knowledge in the world and not know somebody personally. Look, it's fall, my favorite season of the year, NFL season's kicking off. I love football. I am looking forward to watching the greatest player in NFL history toss the ball again this year, Tom Brady. No amens, got some groans in the room. There's one amen, all right. Here's the thing about Tom Brady. Not only is he the greatest player in the world, but he came from the greatest university in the world. Go blue. All right. I got sneers on that one. Okay. That's why, well, never mind. All right. <laughs> Seriously, though, I know a lot about Tom Brady. He's the greatest quarterback, undoubtedly. In the, I, know, I know a lot about him. Tom Brady's seven NFL, like, Super Bowl rings, right? Five-time Super Bowl MVP. He has the most... Uh, career, um, you know, games started, most, most games started over a career, most games played over a career. He holds all these records, most uh, passing yards thrown in a career, most touchdowns thrown in a career. You know, I know all these things about Tom Brady. Tom Brady also grew up in California. Tom Brady uh, was raised Roman Catholic. Tom Brady's not sure what he believes spiritually. 
Tom Brady's been uh, married twice. He's got three kids. His favorite color is mulberry blue. He likes long walks on the beach. I just made that up, but I'm glad to know you guys are listening. Um, I know plenty about Tom Brady, right? But here's the deal. I know nothing about him personally, right? Like I've never met Tom Brady. I haven't hung out with Tom Brady. I know a lot about him, but here's the deal. Informational facts don't make you know somebody personally, right? I've never met him initially, let alone know him personally. Knowing informational facts doesn't mean that you know somebody personally. Here's the thing. So many of us in the church know all sorts of informational facts about God, but it doesn't mean we know him personally. James chapter two, verse 19 makes a very good point about this. James two, verse 19 says this. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Guys, the demons know the facts about God. In fact, the demons have been around a lot longer than us and probably know far more facts than we do about God. Some of you are Cedarville students. Demons could go to Cedarville and pass Bible class. Demons could go to seminary and probably write better theses than most of us. Demons could craft a doctrinal statement that's probably pretty accurate, but here's the deal. None of us would say that a demon knows God personally. None of us would say that a demon is regenerate because a demon has no love in their heart for God, no personal relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. I wanna make it very clear. This is not me saying that, you sh- that informational knowledge is wrong. I- I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about truth and doctrine. Any of you know me know that that's the total opposite, right? Like, I... I- I believe that truth is important. I believe that doctrine is important. I believe that knowing doctrine about Christ is kind of like facets that make a diamond, a diamond shine. If Jesus is the diamond, doctrine is facets and they just make him shine the more you know the truth about him. But here's the thing. Doctrine should always lead us to praise. Theology should always lead us to doxology, right? There should be something in our hearts that the more we know, the more we love, right? This is the truth about us. No demon's gonna do that. The Bible makes it very clear. You must know God personally, not just informationally. Nicodemus knew the information, but he didn't know God personally. Knowing God informationally is not enough. Listen to me. It will only make you as saved as a demon, You guys with me on this? This is a big deal. Parents in the room, it's not just about getting Bible facts into your kids' heads. College students, it's not just about passing Bible classes and intellectually assenting to the truth. There must be something that goes on in our hearts where we are regenerate, made new, born again. So we've seen two reasons why knowing him personally is important. Knowing him religiously is not enough. Knowing him informationally is not enough. Here's a third reason why knowing him personally is important. It's because your eternity depends on it. Your eternity depends on it. Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, here's the thing, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. A couple verses later, Jesus will say, unless a man's born again, born of the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. You gotta be born again. How do we become born again? 
I think this is important. Sometimes we memorize these verses in scripture, but we forget about the context, right? We are reading from John chapter three about the importance of being born again, born of the spirit, knowing God that way. And what is the probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible? John 3.16. Jesus is talking, like right on the heels of this conversation with Nicodemus, where he starts to teach about the fam- most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish, but have eternal life. What is Jesus saying right here? Those who believe in Jesus, those, those who have come to believe in Christ, those who have been born again by the Spirit, they will have eternal life. Those who have not believed in Jesus, those who have not been born again, they will eternally perish. This is really, this is a vital to your eternity. Don't forget what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is teaching and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, judgment day, listen, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, listen, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Guys, if you want eternal life with God in his kingdom forever, then you must know him and he must know you. You must know him and be known by him. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be born again of the Spirit. Knowing him personally is important because your eternity depends on it. Those are our three reasons why we're gonna start emphasizing in our church the call to know God personally because religious tradition, participating in it's not enough because informational knowledge is not enough and especially in our culture, as much Bible and Christian university there is around here, we have got to emphasize that informational knowledge is not enough. And our eternity depends on it. Knowing him personally matters for these reasons. Now, how can we pursue it? How can we pursue knowing him personally? I wanna call us to pursue it at two levels, at the individual level and at the collective level, right? Each person in this room at your level, but also for us as a church. How are we gonna pursue knowing him personally? Individually, here's the thing. Each one of you must determine if you're born again. Everybody in this room, you you are hearing my voice right now preach the word of God and you have a moment right now to do what the scripture says, to examine yourself and to see if you are in the faith. You have to determine in your heart, have you been born again? Is the spirit of God alive in you? Has he made you alive spiritually? Are are you regenerated? Do you know him personally? See, when somebody becomes a Christian, I've said this before and I, I wanna keep reiterating it. When somebody truly becomes a Christian, they start to speak about Jesus with personal pronouns. Christ is more than just the Savior. He's, he becomes my Savior. When someone's born again, 
Christ didn't just die for the world, he died for me. When someone's born again, it's not just that Christ can change people. Now you start to say, no, he changed me. He's changing me. Do you know him personally? Do you speak about Christ in personal pronouns? Guys, there must be something more in our lives than just participating in traditional religion. There must be more than just knowing information. I want us to just state it very clearly. You can know a whole lot of Bible and still be lost. You can have a whole lot of church participation and still go to hell. Unless the love of Christ has entered your heart, you are unsaved and you need to be born again. There must be a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. You can't know him personally until you've met him initially. You can't know him personally until you've met him initially. Have you met him Has there been the initial connection with you and Christ? Some some of you guys need, who are listening today, maybe you need to know this. Today's message isn't only about you coming to Christ. You also need to know that Christ came to you. He came to you. The The eternal son of God left the glories of heaven and came to this earth to save you. He came for you. When you believe upon him, Christ sends his Holy Spirit to come into you, to live inside of you, to change you. He wants a relationship with you. He's pursuing you. Some of you may know it in your heart today. You've been churchy and religious or informational, kind of know the Bible for a long time, but you, you can sense it right now. There's something going on in your heart where God is moving in your heart saying, hey, I, I want you. I want to know you. I want to be with you personally. This is what the church has historically called being saved, all right? Being saved. Being saved is when you realize that you're a sinner. God is holy and you're a sinner and there's a great barrier between you and God and it's the barrier of sin. And so in order for you to have a relationship with God, the sin barrier's gotta be removed. How does that happen? If you're spiritually dead, you can't walk over to the sin barrier and remove your own sin barrier and do enough good deeds and, and live in a good enough life to remove your own sin barrier. If you're spiritual, a spiritually dead person can't save themselves, so you needed God, the living God, to take on flesh and come to this earth and do the work for you to remove the sin barrier, and that's what Jesus did. He came to this earth. And he died on the cross in your place to pay for your sins so that when you believe in him, your sins are forgiven, the sin barrier is removed all by the grace and the work of Christ and you can have a right relationship with God. That's When you come to believe that, when you repent of your sin and believe what Jesus did on the cross was for you and you express your your desire to God, please forgive my sins, change my life. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. You confess that Jesus is Lord and Christ, then you're saved. That's how you come to know him initially, and that's the beginning of how you know him personally. Maybe some of you today need to meet him initially. But guys, I know that for the most part, most of us in this room would say that we have met him initially. So how do we know God on a personal level? All of you have, you can pro- many of you can probably finish this sentence. 
being a Christian is not about religion. It's about a relationship, right? You guys, everybody's heard that. A lot of us say that. Here's my question. Do you actually have a relationship with God? I want you to really think about it. Like, do you actually have a relationship with God? Is there real talking to him and listening to him and loving him and being provoked by him and, and making things right with him and figuring things out? Because all, all those things, that's part of what, like, what happens when you have a real relationship with somebody. Moses, when you think about Moses, right, what did he say? He said, Lord, I, I know that you've promised me to go, you've, you've told us we're gonna go into the promised land, but I don't even wanna go there without you. David would say like, Lord, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I wanna be with you. Peter would say this, Lord, we're not turning away from you. Where else are we gonna go? You alone have the words of life. The apostle Paul would say things like this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like this This is the language of people who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I gotta ask you, do you have a real personal relationship with him? Practically speaking, does God's word actually impact your life? Guys, let me, this isn't me condemning anybody. This is me pastorally trying to care for you. When is the last time you've read God's word? or heard God's word preached, and it actually resulted in you doing something different with your life. Seriously, when's the last time? When is the last time that you've actually been convicted of a sin and been brought to the point of saying, Lord, I I was wrong. I need your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Change me. When is the last time you had a decision to make and you actually talked with God about it and wanted to know any sort of biblical principles that should inform your decision? Guys, really, like when, do you ever talk to God beyond like the ritual mealtime and bedtime? Like is there an ongoing God consciousness conversation going on in your life? I mean, those are, this is what it means to have a relationship with God. I want you to know you can have all those things. God wants to speak to you personally. So don't don't harden your heart against him. Some of you today, there's been seasons in my life where my heart has gotten hard. What happens when you pour water on a rock? Just bounces right off, goes nowhere, does nothing. Maybe some of us in the room today, our hearts have gotten hard. Our hearts are like rocks. Yeah, we hear God's word, but it just bounces off. It doesn't do anything. Maybe some of us today are not walking with him personally. And and let me just say it this way. Maybe some of us today aren't walking with God personally because we're afraid of him knowing us personally. I think sometimes we avoid an intimate walk with God because we know that There's secret sin in our life that we don't want to have to deal with. Sometimes we don't want to walk personally with God because there's unforgiveness in our heart and we don't want to have to forgive someone that wounded us. Some of us don't want to walk with God personally because 
we know that if we get serious about walking with God, it'll cause us to have to give up an addiction or a habit or something that we're into that we just frankly are cherishing. We don't want to walk closely with God because he might challenge us when it comes to how we spend our money or what we do with our career or our retirement or whatever it may be. Some of us, I think, are afraid of knowing and walking with God personally because we're afraid of God walking with us personally. I want to just remind you of this. This truth struck my heart deeply many years ago. I want you to know this. God already knows the worst things you will ever do, and he loves you anyways. Before you were born, before Christ died on the cross, God in his infinite knowledge would know every struggle that you and I would ever have, and Jesus Christ went to the cross for us anyways. He loves you. You don't have to live in such a way where you say, you know what, um, I, you know, I, I'll change God and then I'll get to know you. God says, you know what, I've already known you all along. I wanna walk with you and change you along the way. He loves you as you are, but he won't leave you as you are. He will change you. Don't be afraid of that. Walk with God personally. He'll change you, make you new. We've talked about knowing God on an individual level, and I hope you have come to the point where you've met God initially and been born again. Church family, I hope that we walk with God day by day on a personal level, because here's the thing. A church, listen to me for a second. A church where the members don't walk personally with God is going to be an incredibly weak and ineffective church. Divisions all over the place. No patience, no joy, no hope. If we're not walking with God personally and he's not really the hope of our life, why would somebody who's lost ever think we had anything to offer them through Christ? You've got to walk with God personally. Let's talk about how this is going to affect our church collectively as I wrap up my, my time here, I just wanna share with you some things that you can expect as we move forward as a church. Because we wanna see people come to know God personally. I want you to know you're gonna see things like classes or seminars that help people get over um, intellectual or emotional hurdles to coming to faith in Christ. Some people need to get over the intellectual hurdle of how can I know God exists or why can I trust the Bible or was Jesus real? Did he actually rise from the grave? Some, some people need to get over those intellectual hurdles. Other people just have wounds and hurts that they have to get over. How do I recover from a divorce? My family fell apart. I lost a child. I'm dealing with cancer. How, how could God let that happen? My finances are a mess. We're gonna... We're going to start doing classes and seminars and things like that that help people get over the, in, the kind of the intellectual and experiential hurdles with the purpose of giving them an opportunity to come to know Christ. Guys, collectively, we must call people to be born again and give them opportunities to respond. We wanna do that through things like classes and seminars that help them get over their hurdles. 
We wanna be people who build relationships with the lost. I'm convinced that one of the most effective ways that somebody actually comes to faith in Christ is because they've met a Christian that they actually trust. A Christian who actually lives out their beliefs and it starts to be winsome to them and opens a door of, uh, of openness in their heart. I think every one of us in this room who's been saved, we would say, you know what? We're saved because somewhere along the way, somebody shared the gospel with me. I listened, I heard the message, and I believed. How, how, can, how can we believe if we haven't heard? How can people hear if no one preaches? Guys, it's not just up to Jason Wing and the pastors and elders and staff of this church to share the gospel. What you're gonna see moving forward is that each of us individually as a church, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are gonna be challenges for you to share the gospel. And to live in such a way that builds trusts with those that may not yet know Christ. But we want to have an opportunity to share the gospel. If you've been attending here for a while, you know that uh, our services have been pretty close together. You know, there's only been like 15 minutes in between each service. And because of that, there's, sometimes there's this desire within my heart when I preach to do an altar call or a time of prayer or a call for response, those types of things. And I've always kind of felt a little bit hindered by that because we have to hurry up and rush through and get to the next service or you know, things like that. I just want you to know that as we move forward, I am praying like, Lord, help me figure out a way to give people a more direct and uh, meaningful time to respond at the end of messages. We started this a little bit in the Lord's Prayer sermon series, asking people to pray out loud, be responsive that way. You're gonna start to see more times for people to respond. Sometimes it might be an altar call to come pray. Sometimes it might be a specific action. Come talk to one of our leaders after a service. It might be fill out this card or text in this little thing here. But nevertheless, people need to respond to the gospel. So I just want you to know, you're gonna see more classes that help people get over their hurdles to their faith. You're gonna see uh, more of a challenge to people in our church to build trust with unbelievers and share the gospel. And you're gonna see more calls for response after the end of services like this. Why is that? Because to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, you must know him personally. We must know him personally. We wanna be people who know Christ personally. We wanna help people know Christ personally to know him and to make him known personally. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Father, I uh, pray right now that you would let each of us who says that we've met you initially start walking closely with you personally. Lord, um, if there's anybody in here whose heart has become hardened over time, Lord, I ask that you would break it open. Lord, if there's anybody in here who says they know you, but really all they mean is I go to church and I, I know Bible facts, but they really, their life has never been touched by the cross, Lord, would you make them born again today? Call them to yourself. Change them from the inside out. Give them a deep love for you, not just a knowledge of information about you. I ask, Lord, that you would let our church be a church that is ready to be a voice for the gospel in our community, in our workplaces, in our homes with our children, in our homes with our lost loved ones, going to the nations with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would 
um, give us a zeal in our own hearts to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and call people to respond. Lord, I pray for your blessing to be on our classes and seminars and various activities that we will pursue that help people get over their emotional and intellectual hurdles from coming to you. Draw people to yourself, Lord. I pray that as we move forward as a church that you would let us be a church that is opening our hearts and ready to respond when you are prompting us and to be unafraid to do so, Lord. We wanna walk with you personally. I just wanna say right now, Lord, thank you for making me born again through the power of your spirit. And I thank you that many people in this room can also give you thanks for making them born again. Lord, if there's somebody here today who has not yet been born again, would you do it today through the power of your Holy Spirit? I pray in Christ's name, amen.